0: let me just uh invite you to open up your bibles and if you could go ahead find hebrews chapter 2 hebrews chapter 2 i'm just curious there's uh there's no uh there's no trap door that i'm going to open after i ask this but i'm just curious how many of you are still old school that you bring your old school bible kind of like just wave your bible at me a little if you're old you just yeah do you still use paper and the leather? How many of you use your technology? I'm just curious. Do How many technology people? Oh, got some technology people. Wave your, wave your phone at me like that. Okay, yeah. I, I, you know me. I've used both through the years. And uh, the word, the word is effective, whether you use the pages or whether you're on technology. Just so long as you're reading it. You are reading it, right? Amen and Amen. Well, we're wrapping in some ways the identity series we've been talking about and reminding ourselves and maybe even dropping some revelation nuggets into some of you concerning who you are as a believer. There are promises, there are possibilities, there are blessings, there's miraculous power. I mean, isn't it cool when God shows up and just does things that are just off the chain, out of the box, amazing things in your life? Is that not cool when that happens? Come on, talk to me now. If I do my own amens, we'll be here longer. Come on. Come on, look at me and say, yeah. How many of you you with your own eyes have seen God do miraculous things? Come on, let's just. You've seen God do something that can't be explained any other way than God did it. Sure. Hopefully we all have. If not, we're going to believe that 2018, there won't be one that will not have seen God do something amazing. But all of that is tied to your identity. God works for his people. He works for his children because his children understand who they are and whose they are. And if that be true, and we've already gone through the Scripture enough to be able to connect that dot to share with you that it is true that God works on behalf of His kids, God works on behalf of His children, His children are identified with Him, then if that be true, and we know that it is, then it should come as no surprise to us that the enemy wants to keep the truth of your identity a secret or a fog to you. If he can make you forget it, neglect it, Or exchange it. He can ostensibly cut you off. From a flow of God's power. And provision and help to you. Is that not right? So it's important that you remember. Your identity. In the 1990's. uh, And I'm dating myself. When I say this. Some of you probably. There may be some weren't even born yet. Um, Some of you would have been very very young. But in the 1990's in the Renewal Movement, there was a gush of revelation that came forth uh, concerning spiritual warfare. And uh, as this revelation was coming forth, as is often the case, there's these amazing teachings that begin to happen, and of course the light bulb turns on as you begin to hear what people are are seeing and sharing. And uh, controversy comes with it as well. Uh, Whenever there's revelation, especially some new understanding in the earth, there's always some controversy usually that swirls around it. And so there were controversies that existed with with spiritual warfare. And I I remember the controversy that existed over, over whether a Christian could have a demon or not. And there was great controversy over these things. Uh, The issue of possession when when you're owned by the devil or simply oppressed by the devil there was controversy over Possession and oppression and all of these things even as I'm throwing them out there You might be spinning and saying oh that is interesting. What do you think? Well, I can't get into all of that now, but I can tell you that that that's been sort of uh, uh, shaken out and um, and these understandings were refined but there was controversy at first and there was controversy I'll never forget there was one group that believed in what they called blasting where somebody needed to be delivered you sat them down and just basically yelled at them blasting like you blast the devil out of them and so there was certain confusions that existed about spiritual warfare uh, but I say all that simply to say this that the foundation of any battle that you're going to face in life That Satan is at the root of. The foundation of that battle has to be settled first in the knowledge of who you are. Your identity. We've already mentioned to you the seven sons of Sceva who were attempting to deliver a man that had a demon. And when the demon manifested, he manifested saying these words. I know Jesus. I know Paul. But who are you? And as soon as he said, who are you, that devil jumped on those boys and beat the fire out of them. And a lot of times I think the devil jumps on us because we do not know our identity. We know the story. We know some things that Jesus did. We sort of have the gospel outline in our mind. But identity is rooted in revelation and it is the foundation of our warfare, especially as we're navigating the circumstances of life. And so I want to read to you a scripture in Hebrews as we get started, and you might want to just keep your fingers nimble or your thumbs nimble if you're on technology, because I want to read to you a number of scriptures this morning. If you haven't brought a Bible, we'll put them on the screen overhead. But I want to share some things with you that I think should make you really happy. And I've entitled our lesson, our message today, I've entitled it, The Defeated Devil. The Defeated Devil. How many of you know? Satan is defeated. We've got to keep that in mind. So let's read out of Hebrews 2. I want to read, I think, three verses beginning with verse 14. And there's some great passages here. So listen, Hebrews 2, verse 14. We're talking about the defeated devil. The writer pens these words. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, meaning Jesus, likewise shared in the same that through death, He might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Did you hear that? So did Jesus simply, you know, shoot the devil away? No, it says he destroyed him who had the power of death. And we'll talk about, well, if he destroyed him, why do I feel like he's always around me? And then in verse 15, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. And we'll stop there. The defeated devil. I grew up in the American holiness movement, and... Years ago, we would have midweek service, and a part of midweek service was that you would usually receive testimonies from the people. And so on a Wednesday night, in one form or another, you'd take testimonies. And in a couple of churches I was a part of, uh, you'd have somebody run around and hold a microphone so everybody could hear the testimony that was going to be shared. And uh, I'll just share this with you right off the bat, that if you're a pastor and you hand the microphone, if you have open mic night in the congregation... There's a piece of you that is just saying to yourself, Lord Jesus, help nothing be shared that's just crazy. Because you let go of a mic and you never know oftentimes what somebody's going to say. And uh and, and and so you always wondered what someone was gonna say. And there was, I guess, fear if you'd call it anxiety, maybe that's the better word. You'd have this anxiety, oh Lord, what's gonna be shared tonight? And and most of the time there are wonderful, touching testimonies that would come forth. Every now and then, you'd get some that were just sort of off the wall. And of course, every now and then, you'd get heresy that you'd just have to clean up afterwards. But I'll never forget in the circles I grew up in, this was always interesting when people would give testimony because this was learned. It was learned a little probably through preaching and learned a lot through what they'd heard through the years. That most of the time, through testimonies, it wouldn't be Jesus getting glory. It would be the devil getting glory. They'd stand up and go, oh, pastor. The devil's been working overtime this week. The devil's been on me for this. The devil's been on me for this. I didn't know if I was going to make it. The devil's been on me for that. And everything was the devil, the devil, the devil. The devil was up to a lot of no good. And then at the end, sometimes they'd slip in, but God has given me, you know, the wherewithal, the grace that I have barely, but I've gotten through. And those were the kind of testimonies, oftentimes, that would be solicited. Now, I'm not suggesting they weren't true. I'm just suggesting that there was a gap in some understanding that life didn't have to be lived according to the testimony we just heard. There are two quick points that I'm just going to say real fast, and it's this. Number one is the devil is not omnipresent. What that means is the devil cannot be everywhere at once. So it's likely that whatever you were facing wasn't the devil because he can't be everywhere at once so you probably got one of his downline proteges and they were messing with you that's potentially uh, accurate but but the devil himself maybe not because because the devil is not omnipresent the devil can't be here and there and over there and on the other side of the globe because he's a fallen angel he's not omnipresent that's why he has to have this hierarchy of, of little demons, devils that, that do his bidding because he can't be everywhere at once. The second point I want to make is this. The devil is defeated. Now I'm reminding you of this because sometimes it feels or it appears that that's not the case. But the Hebrew writer as well as other scriptures clearly tell us that the cross rendered him impotent Jesus Christ crushed him Now hear me unfortunately Christians have assimilated now we're going to get into some deep water here so just bear with me I'm only going to be here a couple minutes so if your eyes start glazing over just hit yourself and we'll be back to where we all need to be but I'm going to I'm going to share something with you that's really really important here because what happens is as Christians we begin to assimilate things We hear or we assimilate ideas from the culture or we assimilate ideas from our schooling and we assimilate it into our Christianity not knowing that we've done it and we end up spouting things that aren't really fully accurate. They seem accurate, but they aren't completely accurate. I just want to share one particular point on this subject that we we have assimilated a lot of things as the church here in America. We've assimilated Greek philosophy, we've assimilated things from Rome, we've assimilated a, a, another philosophy, and you're not going to be tested on this later, I'm just, I'm just sharing this with you so you kind of know where it came from, but the philosophy is an ancient philosophy birthed out of the Middle East, probably Northern Africa, that was called Zoroastrianism. Isn't that a big word? Now, you don't have to write that down. If you want to go study it, that's up to you. But it's an ancient philosophy that the early church even battled initially. And we still battle it to this day. Because the Rostrianism basically has a lot of overlap with Christianity, which which makes it dangerous when you find things that have certain overlaps with our faith because what we do is we begin to say, oh, that's just like us, that's just like us. And we begin to suck things in, not realizing it's really not like us at all. But there were overlaps. For example, under this philosophy, they believe that you ought to do good works. We believe you ought to do good works. Good works don't save you, but we believe that you ought to do good works. They believed that there was good and there was evil. They believed that man had freedom to make choices. And so there were these things that seemed to overlap. But one of the things that did not overlap, that got sucked into a lot of Christians' brains, was this thought. And that was that somehow God and the devil, or good and evil, are somehow equal in power with each other. And because they're equal in power with each other, what manifests in your life boils down to your choices and whether you choose good or whether you choose evil. In other words, you and I would have been the decider as to who would win the battles in our life. Now that sounds close to maybe what a Christian would teach, but hear me when I say that this, it's not really close at all. And the reason it's not close at all is, is this, and that is God is in a category all by himself. There is none like him. Satan, while he has power, is not all-powerful. Satan, while he has knowledge, is not all-knowledgeable. Satan, while he can do things that can mess up people's lives, he can't do it without some sense of permission or understanding, or, or, or some, some form of veiling even over our eyes in order for that to happen because God, who's in a category all his own, has rendered him now defeated. Now you say, well, okay, you didn't have to get too excited about that, Pastor. No, I do. I do, because sometimes this, I think, is how we look at our life. It's like, it's like the devil and Jesus are sort of duking it out. And we're kind of wondering who's going to win this thing. And I'm here to tell you that they're not duking it out. It was, it was taken care of over 2,000 years ago when Jesus, through the cross, crushed the serpent's head. He is a defeated enemy. But here's the snare and here's the lie. Satan wants to do everything he can in order to veil your eyes, to keep you fooled, to to keep you believing somehow that he is actually in this, this game of life as a potential winner. He wants you to think that he is bigger than he really is. How does he do that? By throwing things circumstantially at you to keep you distracted. Remember, our identity, we lose our identity when we forget, when we neglect, or when we exchange. Remember, we taught you this. I forget who I am, or I neglect who I am. Or I've exchanged my identity and something else. And that's what the enemy knows. He's watched us enough to know that circumstantially, if he throws enough stuff at us that we'll forget it, we'll neglect it, or we'll exchange it, and all of a sudden we've experienced identity theft, And pretty soon we feel like, what's the deal? Satan's beating the fire out of me. And we need to realize once again that Satan is already a defeated enemy. He just wants to keep fooling you to make you think that he's actually in this thing and can take you out. He is defeated. Satan is defeated now. Now, It's tough, I think, at times to recognize this, much less function like this is true. But hear me when I say this. Satan was not conquered by the believer. Satan was conquered by Christ for the believer. That's why we are in Christ. When we are in Christ, this is why substitution is vital. Jesus took our place in order that we might be redeemed from the adversary's hand. Jesus satisfied all claims against us. Jesus paid all debts assigned to us. Jesus removed every judgment accrued to us. Jesus once and for all rendered the enemy impotent. Satan's reign became moot. He was broken. He was conquered. Peter said it best when he was writing these things to the church that was in Diaspora. In other words, the church had been, had been scattered. Can you imagine being scattered through persecution? Watching family members die in, uh, in Colosseums. I mean, it was a horrific time for the church and for Christians. And Peter writes to them these words. He said, Satan comes to you like a roaring lion. He didn't say he was a roaring lion, did he? He said he was like a roaring lion. What does that mean? It means he makes a lot of noise, but he's toothless. There's only one lion, and that lion came from the tribe of Judah. And his name is Jesus. Satan wants you to believe he is in the same class as Jesus. That's why He's like a roaring lion. It sounds like He's as powerful as the Lord. He's just making noise. Hear me. He's making noise in your life right now. And the question is whether or not you'll believe His noise or whether you'll believe whose you are. Are you following me? The battle for redemption was not even close. Jesus wins hands down our identity we are heirs we are joint heirs now i'm going to get to, i'm going to get to your big question i know what the big question is we're going to get there but i can't get there till we get this down satan has been defeated you aren't being asked to defeat him you're being asked to appropriate what has already happened that has once and for all defeated him in other words it's not you can't defeat him if it were just between you and the devil we're in trouble but because of our identity and whose we are. He's a defeated adversary, which means we can probably press through a little bit more than we press through maybe in times past. Now you say, Well, Pastor, if that's true, why does it seem like I get my tail handed to me all the time? If that's true, why does it why does it seem like I'm fighting him a lot? I believe what you're saying. I'm not really questioning what you're saying, but it sure seems like I fight him a lot. Why is that? Here's the answer. Satan sounds convincing. He throws circumstances at you, and he knows by experience you will fall out of faith. Because you'll yield to your senses and not to your spirit. Now I'm not going to pick on Brad. I see Brad right down here. I'm not, I'm, but but I know you and love you, and you love me, and therefore I can use you for an illustration and pick on you. But we all know that Brad is is looking for a new work, new job, and I was with him the day when all that collapsed. And and I'm not sharing anything that I don't think you haven't or wouldn't share yourself. But I know that day, all of a sudden, you were caught flat-footed. Now isn't that interesting? that that's how the enemy works usually the enemy catches us flat-footed he doesn't catch you after prayer time when you built yourself up and you're on top of it and and you've got it together and you're excited and you're you're edified that's not when the enemy comes the enemy comes when you usually least expect it, and he catches you flat-footed and he throws a circumstance at you he says here take this now as anyone would and I'm not suggesting I wouldn't either. I believe me, I could tell I could tell scores of stories about my initial reactions to when life throws something at me. Because the initial reaction is OMG. What am I gonna do? I've got mouths to feed, I've got bills to pay, I've gotta work, this wasn't on this wasn't what I expected, I mean it's not that you didn't disbelieve everything that you've said you believe through the years, but a circumstance gets thrown at you like this. You're going into the holiday season, you're wondering how all this is going to work out, and you're saying to yourself, "I'm getting sla- getting slapped sideways in all of this, and I don't it doesn't feel like I'm victorious at this moment. It feels like I'm the loser." Now, I'm just using this as an example. Because I've watched Brad navigate through these things, and you reach the point where you have to shake out of your senses and say, I know what I'm seeing, I know what I'm hearing, I know what I'm feeling, and that's the enemy trying to get me to eject from my position of my identity, My identity is not in that company that's being ruled by the prince of darkness. My identity is in a God who has a kingdom that is over every kingdom. My identity is in a God who holds all things in his hand, has all power, all resource. That can get me anything at any time he would want. And it's one of those moments that I, I, despite my circumstance, I begin to look at it and declare the enemy has been defeated. That is why it's not that you were fired. You were released to find something better. Because that's how God works. Are you following me? Why? Why are we fighting him so much? The enemy does this too God's people constantly by throwing circumstances. It's another one of the answers as to why you, as a believer, oftentimes feel like you face more than your friend who's the non-believer. Has anyone here but me ever said why is it that I have to face all of these things and my non-believing buddy down the road there seems like he just goes through life la di da? Anybody else but me ever feel that way? Do you know why? It's because he's bound. Into his senses, his identity is in this world. Me, on the other hand, oh no, me, that if I understood identity and understood God's plan and purpose, and if I start walking in that, I become a threat to the very domain of Satan himself. When you live by your senses, you will ultimately live by fear because that circumstance gets thrown at you, and what happens? What crawled you, Brad? Fear. Crawl it crawled me too. It has crawled us all at times. Fear, and fear limits God by extinguishing your faith. Now, hear me. This is, this is just a nugget I want to drop here. I hope it, I hope it resonates in you because when I wrote it down, it just resonated in me. Listen to this: the only fight that we are called to fight, the Bible says, is the good fight of faith. I'm not called to fight the devil. He's defeated. I'm called to fight the good fight of faith. What I'm called to fight is to keep myself in faith and out of fear. Because every battle we face is rigged for your victory. If you stand in your identity. You say, well it doesn't feel very victorious. It doesn't matter what you see. We walk not by sight but by I'm not walking by what I see. I'm walking by what I believe. And I believe my identity is in Him and that belief is stronger than my circumstances. Circumstances are temporary. Circumstances are subject to change. He is not subject to change. He is not temporary. He is eternal and His word is forever established eternally in the heavens. And when I lay hold of my identity, and I confess His Word, I am unstoppable no matter what I see. Oh, amen. I need to have just one quick dance moment on my own here. Amen. Amen. So your fight is not with the devil, per se, but rather the good fight of faith to implement what Christ has already done senses will always make you fall into the natural when you fall back into your senses you will always fall back into what is natural you'll begin to process things naturally you'll begin to go back to your worldly logic and rationalities because that's what your senses do your senses are speaking to you saying don't you see don't you see don't you hear don't you hear don't you feel don't you feel it's screaming at you and it's wanting to drive you back into your natural man. When your spirit man inside of you is saying, and it's God's voice for that's where He lives, He's saying to you inside, He's saying, don't believe those dumb ears, those dumb eyes. Believe me. I can see around the corner. I hear sounds that have yet to come to your ears. I'll bring you joy that you've yet to know. Listen to me, says the inner man. Are you following me? The Spirit will rest in what Christ has done confidently. I'm not changing your circumstances. I'm changing your position in those circumstances. Now, as long as you're in the book of Hebrews, quickly turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. I want to read this. Um, This is important because this is a little, um, it's not a little thing. It's, It's an important thing in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 12. Uh, That is a great dominion passage. Hebrews 10, verse 12. It says, But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. I want to stop there and simply say the Hebrew writer is telling us at this point that after the ascension of Christ... This is what took place. He offered the sacrifice for sins and he sat down at his rightful place at the right hand of God the Father. Now, if you ever wonder what Jesus is up to right now in the heavenlies, we're going to find one of the answers to this. It says, From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Now, I want to I want to paint a picture for you real quickly um, that I ho- that I hope that I hope you can get a hold of here. You remember in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, when the fall took place. In other words, Adam and Eve had been created, and understand, Adam and Eve had been created to enjoy limitless, incredible possibility. From the very hand of God Himself, they were unencumbered. Yes, they they were innocent in a way we will never be. But at the same time, at the same time, they were created as human beings, able to access amazing resource from God Himself, and God was willing to resource them in anything. In fact, the reason He told them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was because this was this was God's intent. They were never defined to find what was good and evil in and of themselves. They were always to find their good and evil in God himself. So that's why they could not eat of that tree. What happened was, when they partook of the tree, what happened is what you and I face, usually on a consistent basis. We think we know what's good and what's evil. We, we, we generate our ideas of what good and evil is within our own selves. And, and the Bible tells us that, that even in latter days, it's going to be so twisted that they will call evil good and good evil. Why, why do they do that? Because, because man in his fallen stature, his fallen nature, thinks he can determine what is good in and of himself or what is evil in and of himself. We don't know good and evil besides what God has said is good and evil. And so he said, you're not to eat of this tree because you're supposed to understand all of life. You un- you're supposed to understand it through me. That's what the Lord's saying. But we know that's not what happened. The serpent comes along. Begins to solicit the woman, and what does he? What does he do to solicit the woman? He begins to appeal to her senses. He sa- he says, "See, he asks a question. Uh, you know, why don't uh, why don't uh, you partake?" And she says, "Well, you know, the Lord said uh, that uh, we weren't to do it, nor were we to touch it. In fact, she embellishes a little bit on the actual command." And he says, well, the reason he does that is because you'll be like him. And there was some truth to that statement. They would begin to generate their own sense of good and evil, which was never the Lord's will. But then it says she looked at the fruit and it became pleasing to the eyes. She, she fell into her senses. And, and, and she began out of her senses to determine, wait a minute. I, even though I have a, a million other trees potentially I can eat from, why can't I eat from this one? And she's in her senses, she's in the natural, and all of a sudden, when she partakes, uh, rebellion, sin enters into the equation, and of course, the fall takes place. Now, this is what's interesting to me. This is how I put it together. She was the one that partakes first and eats of the tree, she then hands it to her husband. And her husband then partakes and eats of the tree. Now, is it not interesting that the Bible says that in Adam we've all sinned? It doesn't say in Eve. Now, this is just an interesting little side trail. In Adam, we've all sinned. So, in other words, the stain, the stain has come of the carnal nature of sinful man, has come through the seed of the man. And it comes through, and now it touches us all, male or female, we've all been touched by by the rebellion that took place in the garden but it said that the second adam was the one that stained us all eve was the one that functionally though took the apple and initially eight of it now this answers the question as to why jesus was this unique human being it's because when god came when the spirit came and overshadowed mary and the seed of the word was put in mary's womb it was incorruptible it was undefiled it wasn't carnal so when jesus was conceived he wasn't conceived off Man's human man's seed he was conceived off divine seed which meant he was not conceived in the same way You and I were conceived which is why when he came forth he wasn't touched in the same manner That you and I are touched. Are you following me? But this is what's interesting. This is how God said I'm going to correct this thing. I'm I'm going to get back to this He sends a second Adam That second. Who's the second Adam? Come on Jesus Come on, Jesus. Jesus came as the second Adam. He's the one that came on the same turf. He's the one that came in order to take back that which had been lost. Now hear me. The first Adam provisionally stains the whole human race. Really not provisionally. He actually stains the whole human race. The second Adam comes, and upon his acts of atonement and redemption, He makes possible the redemption of the whole human race, correct? So so Adam loses it all. Christ redeems it all. Eve was the one who functionally, though, initially took the apple and partook of it, but had to hand it over in order that Adam would be the one that would stain the whole human race. But now Christ has redeemed in potentiality the human race and now he awaits his bride might we call it the second eve to functionally take back that which he's provided for are you following me your and my calling all of our callings now as a part of Christ's bride is to implement all that Jesus has already done and provided. Our job isn't to fight with the enemy in some sense of, of match that we're wondering who's going to come out of this alive. But you and I contend with our circumstances, the works of the enemy, even if it were the enemy himself. We're to contend in such a way that all we are doing is implementing that which is already reality. In other words, I'm in a fixed fight. I am in a rigged battle. This fight I am in right now, I'm here to tell you, Brad, the fight you are in right now has already been settled. You're not going to scrape by. You're not going to rub two nickels together and say to myself, how in the world are we going to make it? The enemy has been defeated. Resource is coming. You're not coming out with your tail between your legs. You're coming out in victory. That's the part we got to get a hold of. Does it look that way? No, it doesn't look that way. I know it doesn't look that way. Even for us as a, as a people of God, it, there are things we look at and we can say, well, I would like to see this and I would like to do this. And it seems like the enemy's always fighting. And why can't people get along? And, and we'll just go down the list. I'm telling you, God has called us to a victory because of our identity. We have to implement that which has already been done. Are you following? Now, how do you do that? Well, I'm going to make this real practical now. You say practical, and I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Revelation. Is that not an oxymoron? We're going to, have to be real practical, turn to the revelation. But there's some precepts here, real quick, that work no matter how you interpret the revelation, these precepts are going to work. These are principles. I'm deriving principles. I'm not going to tell you who the Antichrist is. We're not going to get into, you know, if the locusts are actually, you know, specially made helicopters. We're not getting into that. All right, we're not getting into ashes of red heifers. Or are there parts of the temple that are hidden somewhere in the middle east we're not talking about that we're talking about a principle because because let me tell you ashes of red heifers don't mean a lot to anybody if you're getting your tail handed to you all the time in life isn't that true I mean, I don't care who the, what the locusts represent. If I, can't, if I can't find victory with where I'm at in life at this very moment, then I, you know, we, can, we can get into all the mysteries of the Revelation, and it has a place. I'm not suggesting. I'm not making fun of it or light of it. I'm just simply saying there comes a moment we've got to get real practical. So in Revelation 12, we're going to derive a couple principles that you've probably heard before, some of you, but we're going to go over it one more time. Revelation 12, beginning with verse 10. It says... Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now, everyone say now, now, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. What do we do about that? He's defeated the enemy. Satan's been cast down. Do you really believe that? I I believe that. I believe Jesus rendered him impotent. Maybe he doesn't get it. He's throwing circumstances at you to get you to disbelieve it. But I'm telling you, God's word says he's been defeated. So what do we do with it? Verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Three quick things about implementing this reality, practical things I want you just to implement with regards to understanding who your identity is and winning the battle against this defeated enemy. Doesn't that almost sound crazy to have to say that? I want you to win the battle against the defeated enemy. How many of you know that the enemies of Israel were defeated in the promised land, but they had to go into the promised land and demonstrate just how defeated they were? Are you following me? They were already defeated before they ever went into battle. Jericho was already won. All these battles were won, but they had to walk into it to demonstrate how defeated that enemy really was. And they weren't really the ones that defeated him. God had already defeated them. They did some strange things, did they not? Hear me. This is going to be so important. How do you implement this? Number 1 is you must understand the provision and that is the blood of Jesus or the blood of the lamb. I want you just for this moment to stop and consider the blood of Jesus the blood of Jesus the blood cleanses you it cleanses your conscience it can cleanse the subconscious it can heal you it redeems you the blood is what provides access to you into the most holy place that you might come with boldness and confidence bringing your petitions asking God of anything the blood the blood provides life the blood provides life and that more abundantly the blood renders Satan defeated he hates it because it provides everything you need the blood speaks that is why at times and maybe most instantly applied in my mind I I I think of all the times I've even been in deliverance sessions and and people are struggling with being free from some oppression or addiction Or or, or some ensnarement, some stronghold. What breaks the stronghold is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus stands against you. The blood of Jesus sets you free. The blood of Jesus runs the enemy out of the building. Every time we take communion, it ought to be one of those hallmark moments when we're receiving. We're receiving the emblems of His blood, realizing that the blood is driving the defeated enemy out. The blood speaks. It's the blood the blood is the resource it's messy isn't it when you think of blood and it was messy the cross was messy the atonement is messy if anybody ever described to you the sacrificial system in the temple that was the prototype for what Jesus would ultimately do. It was messy. The priests were up to their arms. Their cloaks were bloody messes. They looked like they were running a butcher shop, an abattoir. And it was a bloody, bloody mess. But the blood was covering everything. The blood. How do you implement this reality practically? You say, the blood. The blood. The blood has covered me. The blood, the blood heals me. The blood cleanses me. The blood sets me free. It's the blood of Jesus. That's how you overcome. By appropriating the blood. Now, how do you appropriate the blood? That leads us to number two, and that is you must speak your confession. I want to say this, and we say it all the time, but we all forget it, and it's this. That to implement spiritual things means you've got to open up your mouth. You didn't get saved by thinking yourself saved. You got saved because what? You confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's Romans 10. So to to activate salvation took believing something and confessing something. Hear me when I say this. For you for you to implement what Christ has already done against your adversary or circumstances, you must believe that God has done these things for you and that you're in Him, and then you must speak what it is you believe. Now again, there's a fine line at times, I think, between arrogance and confidence. Humility and pride. But if I confess the Word if I confess what God has said it's not my prideful heart that's confessing it's God's plan and purpose and promise the Bible says let the weak say what I am strong let the poor say I am rich that's not arrogance I'm just quoting the Bible at this particular time I don't I don't I don't speak what my circumstances say it's not that we're denying reality We acknowledge there's a reality going on here, but the Bible says that we confess those things that be not as though they were. So we're going to begin to speak those things which God has provided to speak those things which the word clearly says are mine as a child of God, clearly mine because of my identity. I speak those things in order that that spoken word activates God's provision into that circumstance. I know people say, well, that's that's just name it and claim it. I'd call it what you want. It's what the Bible says. The Bible says it's our mouth. It's our tongue that's the rudder of our life. That's what the Bible says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. That's what the Scripture says. And that I simply take what God has provided and what God has said, and all he says, all you have to do is just start saying it. Don't just think it. You've got to say it. You've got to speak it. You've got to apply it. And not just once, you've got to keep applying it and keep speaking it and keep believing it and you're going to begin to see situations changing. Number three is this. You understand the provision, you speak your confession and then you enter into fearless action. They love not their lives, even unto death. Now, that may mean a number of things. It probably means that that there was no sense of self, that they were willing to to be selfless. But as I was meditating on it again, I became convinced that I think what it really meant was is that they were fearless, that they loved not their lives. They were fearless in their action. When was the last time you just did a fearless faith act? Think about that. When was the last time you believed God Despite your circumstances, you believe God, despite what was going on around you, you believe God, despite your emotions, you believe God that you just said, I'm just I'm going to fearlessly just obey or I'm going to fearlessly believe. I'm going to fearlessly act. When was the last time? When was the last time, think about this, I, This is it's Christmas time and this is a time of year where we're supposed to be benevolent and generous and I'm not talking about church at this point, alright, so let's just take church out of it. But when was the last time that you had just $10 to your name and you gave your $10 away to somebody else or in somebody's life, you just gave it away in a fearless faith act believing that God says that if you'll tend... To the poor there are those that are poorer than you that if you attend to the poor god who is a debtor to no man will see that as you are lending to him and he is going to pay you back in manifold multiplied ways when was the last time you just did a fearless act like that because i'm here to tell you you, you there's going to come a moment when you'll have so little that you'll either let's say give it away because it sure ain't going to get you to the next place you're going when did you do a fearless act like that when did you do something fearless, just said, we're just going to believe God on this one. We're just going to stand on this one. We're just going to speak on this one. Everyone else can think we're nuts, but we're just going to stand with God on this and hear me. If they think you're nuts, you're in a great crowd. According to this book, they thought a lot of people nuts and they ended up being God's man or God's woman. Sometimes I think in, in the church, we've We've taken virtues, and these are good virtues. I'm not suggesting they aren't good virtues, but we, 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 we take virtues like prudence and wisdom and patience and caution. These words, do you hear these words? These words are things that now we pick up on and we say, well, well, this is the Lord, I'm being prudent. This is the Lord, I'm being cautious. This is the Lord, I'm being patient. And I get it, and if it's the Lord, you need to do that. But sometimes I just think we use those terms and make them synonyms of our fear that's what I think when was the last time we just rose up and fearlessly fearlessly prayed for somebody at work fearlessly shared the gospel fearlessly shared our faith fearlessly invited somebody to church fearlessly just fearlessly because I believe what God has said and 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 what he would do if I will obey him is more real than what I see around me when was the last time you did that because that's what it looks like Now hear me when I say this. All of this isn't to pound you. All of this is to exhort you into your victory. Do you want to be victorious? Post up Deuteronomy 11.25. I'm coming in for a landing here. Deuteronomy 11.25. No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he said to you. Is that not amazing? Post-Joshua 1.5 No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Hear me, you and I, we are no longer mere people. We are God's people. Why am I yelling? Because I'm hoping that I'll be now your circumstance. So if you won't believe it by faith, you'll believe it because you're hearing it in your natural ears. You win. You overcome. You are more than a conqueror. You triumph over all things, Paul said in Romans these things are true they're more true than what you're feeling or experiencing at this moment i'm not minimizing that the situation is real what i'm saying is are you confessing those things that be not as though they were it may look like i'm losing but what you don't understand is god said i'm winning it may look like i'm going backwards but what you don't get is this is god's interstate to going forward That's what I'm beginning to share with you. And that's what Paul, and I'm going to end with this, had to tell the church at Rome. Because the church at Rome was getting the fire beat out of it by Nero. They were under persecutions, immense persecution. And and Paul, when he ended the letter, this is what he said at the end of the letter. Romans 16, verse 19. Listen to this. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And the God of peace didn't say that you would. He said God would. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. He's he's just saying, listen, you just keep obeying. You just keep speaking. You just keep believing. You just keep walking. You just keep doing those fearless acts. Hear me, the grace of God will come to empower you to do these things, to keep moving forward, and you will watch God himself crush Satan beneath your feet. I don't know about you, that's the club I'm signing up for. Is there a sign-up sheet back there for that? That's the club I want to sign up for. Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe we need to set a sign-up sheet in the back and say, if you want to join this club, sign up in the back. If I I believed in hyper-election, I'd say there's about ten slots there. The first ten that get there get to join the club. But that's not true. Everybody whose heart is drawn that way. The sign-up sheet's for you. Will you sign up? You win. He is a defeated enemy. Get that in your spirit right now. Will you hear me? Satan is a defeated enemy. He's defeated. He's he's a faker. He's a facade. All he can do is just stir up the dust around you, hoping there's enough dust that it will blind you to who you are and what God has ultimately provided for you, if you'll just speak it. If you'll just speak it. Listen, if you choose not to speak it, then you'll forever be the punching bag. But if you choose to speak it, watch and see what God will do. Those words become a conduit for his spirit to work. If you'll just begin to say it, Satan, you're defeated. My God is victorious. Not most of the time, all the time and I am his. I am an heir, I am, an aj- I am a joint heir. I am no longer a mere man or a mere woman. I, I am of supernatural strength because my God works in me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I can do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or think according to the power that works in me. You begin to say that enough? And it'll begin to support your belief system and all of a sudden watch life begin to change. Oh, I, I, he'll throw stuff at you because he won't believe it. You've lived in your senses so long, he'll, he'll challenge you, but then fight the good fight of faith. I'm going to stand and I'm going to keep believing no matter what I see. Stand with me, will you?